Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined as always by Jason Daphnis. Hey, Jason. This is Jason Daphnis speaking. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We've had a couple uh, episodes without a guest, and uh, we're happy to have a guest back. Guests we're really excited about. Uh, you might know some of his work from uh, games like Devil May Cry 5, Trek to Yomi, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, uh, Resident Evil 5. Uh, we're pleased to welcome to the show Cody Matthew Johnson. Hey, Cody. Hey, it's 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 good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is this is interesting an interesting format. It's always it's always fun to to uh, kind of talk about music or like you know engage in one art form about another uh, yeah it's, you know to kind of treat discussion of music as if it's poetry or dancing Ooh. about architecture as they say <laughs> yeah so it's it's fun to to be able to kind of sit and, and do this because often uh, i don't get to talk about music in a very uh i don't i don't want to say not creative or artistic way right because i i do a lot of this for a living um but it's often in a different context where it's, this is music for music's sake and we're engaging with it on, on its level rather mm-hmm. than creating, you know, music that's part of a, of a larger art form. You know, it's one right. piece of this larger puzzle that is a video game. Yeah. And I, uh, one, I, I really, our format, you know, is, uh, as everyone knows is blind pick. So, you know, we, we don't know what, what the other's uh, picking and it sometimes results in really kind of, hilarious juxtapositions of two artists and this one is a great one that i'm really i'm really pleased when that happens um (laughs) so i want to talk to you a little bit about your your work uh i know you're the co-founder and head of imperious sound and music which is sort of a i guess full service game audio music sound design immersive audio studio um so just real quick i mean uh just talk a little bit about how you sort of got here you know starting uh I don't know when it started. Uh, elementary school. Sometimes people kind of know that's what they want to do, or or high school, or <laughs> yeah. Um, in the third grade, I knew you know I'm going to start an interactive audio company. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it meant more like music was sort of your, uh, you know what I mean, uh, in general. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I got started pretty early, and it's funny you picked uh, the album you picked because it's 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 kind of like this seminal record when I was getting introduced to music. Um, as a kid in the third grade, I picked up bass and um, some of the bass lines on this record, specifically Run to the Hills, which is why I picked that one out uh, of of the stack. It was like things I was aspiring to know how to do. But when you're like, you know, young, I was in the third grade. So I'd like, you know, I think my fingers were like fatter than they were long. So it's like hard to play the bass, a full size bass guitar. We're trying to do like a Hanson thing. Me and my brothers, clearly I was the youngest. So clearly I was given the instrument that like, you know none of my crushes would actually care about so uh got into music that way i was actually did like a, a whole classical thing for a long time and then in high school i got more into you know electronic music and songwriting and music direction too for some orchestras and ensembles then I went to school for music composition so i've like all these different places um i was doing a lot of film and tv for a while trailer music and then I've been, I've been a gamer forever and I never really thought about writing music for games. I just thought it's, you know, it's such a tangential part of the industry that was a little unattainable. But then when we kind of stumbled into a couple of projects, I was like, oh, this is, this is where like the, the creative frontier of music for media is at. And uh, didn't look back, did that for a couple of years. And then I got really interested into audio as a whole. I think there's, there's so many interesting storytelling techniques and immersive techniques with audio. So I've, yeah. I've definitely looked beyond just music, but into sound design and, you know, actually doing 
Foley and sound design for like uh, you know a weapon or in games or stuff like that and leading our team there. So that's that's the short of it. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's um, your background's interesting. Just having come from you know a lot of different you know being a kid that liked rock music to being very schooled like in a classical sense, and I think it's really reflected. I was checking out um, some of your music uh, today, like the you know the subhuman song uh, from Devil May Cry Five is you know very very metal. Oh, but yeah. then you have the that uh, project you did Vanitas for orchestra that's very uh, kind of traditional orchestra. To I really enjoyed Trek to Yomi um, a lot, which is sort of you know a lot of Asian influence and stuff. So uh, you seem like you cover a, a pretty wide range of styles and, and genres. Oh yeah, I mean I was in bands in in high school. You know, there's a subgenre of heavy music where I grew up in the Rust Belt called Lake Effect hardcore. And so, you know, we did, did some music in that scene, was in some like heavier rock bands here in town when I, or in LA, I live in Los Angeles. When I first moved to LA, I was in, in bands, I was still like producing for other artists before getting, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a really interesting cross section of a very different musical styles, which I'm very grateful. I'm not, you know, I say this thing, it's not self-depreciating. It's like, I'm not good at anything, but I'm like a little okay at some things. And so definitely approaching music in that way has been very helpful. It's very, very eclectic. And being able to communicate about music is a very valuable skill. But it's also it's also a blessing being able to talk about other people's interests musically. Yeah. And uh, speaking of eclectic, we have two very eclectic picks. Uh, and we'll get started <laughs> on uh, Cody's pick, uh, which is Bonnie Vare, uh, 22 a million. Uh He's Bonavere's not a Minnesota artist, but he's definitely he's from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is kind of across the border. And I think he kind of came up here a lot because it was a bigger music scene to play shows early on and stuff. So we kind of are pretty familiar with him around here. And uh, mm-hmm. this is a you know this is a sort of an album. He he's evolved a lot over time from this you know obviously the kind of early stuff, which is very folk oriented and kind of singer songwriter. Yeah, to twenty two a million, where it's you know you start to see I think some of his influence from you know working with people like Kanye West and and different, uh, you know, electronic effects and stuff. So, um, let's, uh, let, well, let's hear, let's hear something soon. What do you want to, um, kick off with? Yeah. Ooh. Um, he, I, I love, I love the first track of this album. And actually this, this album too is, and maybe, maybe we listen to the, the first track first and then I'll, I'll yeah. kind of go deeper on this album. Cause this album is definitely for him, like this very, uh, uh, transitory record where he's coming from a place where all this like singer songwriter stuff and bringing mm-hmm. you into like you're saying this more modern place with uh, where he's producing with with Kanye and he's resampling a, st- a bunch of stuff in here. So there's there's a lot of interesting new ideas from Bon Iver in this record. Uh, yeah. So yeah, if you let's let's just jump into yeah, the, the first, first one. Uh, yeah, the first track is. The song titles on this album are really kind of a pain in the ass, to be honest, for me. It's like but a uh, Zodiac, uh, <laughs> Zodiac you know. killer. <laughs> um, this one is twenty two over soon, uh, but this gives uh, gives you an idea. This album has a very kind of distinctive kind of sound uh, sound world, uh, and I think this kind of sets that up pretty well. And this is sort of indicative of the kind of the sort of atmospherics of this album. Where are you gonna look for confirmation? 
So I think you get a little taste of kind of the atmosphere of this album. Um, a lot of kind of ghostly kind of vocal samples or resampled vocals or, you know, sometimes it almost sounds like kind of degrading tape to me uh, at times. Like it, it almost has this uh, quality of almost like falling apart to a certain extent sometimes. Yeah, that's always been fairly um, indicative of his styles. I think, too, you hear you hear him doing some interesting things and like one thing musically. I'll just say this about uh, Bon Iver as just just a, an overall thing, is if you have a set of tools that you're really good with, just lean into them. So he's always doing like, he's he, he's a singer, and so he's like, by extension of that, he's using his vocoders to create these like beautiful textures or laying his voice, but he's also, listen, he's a saxophone player. And so he's applying all of that knowledge to his saxophone playing too. And so... Um, and he loves like that sort of stuff, like taking gear, like analog raw tools and processing organic materials with them. And so that is like unidentifiably, uh, Bon Iver sound. And so anyone could listen to a record and be like, that's, that's him. So you still have that, that part of him. Um, but like we were saying, like his f- first or, you know, records that really established him as an artist are they're all pretty sad sounding and they're very singer songwriter. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't dive too deep into artists, creative processes behind albums. I don't know. Do you, do either of you do that? I think I do. Yeah. I like to read stuff, you know, um, and kind of depends on though. I mean, do you, do you feel like it breaks the, uh, mystique or something? Well, I find that when I listen to a record, like I, you know, everyone connects with something a little bit differently. And if I, learn too much of what went into creating the record it steers kind of my emotional response from where it might innately you mm-hmm. know show up um right and so like all of bonnie Vera's music so sad so sad so sad and we <laughs> enter to this album and it doesn't only sound sad anymore right um especially this this song it almost sounds sounds hopeful in a little bit of ways um you know yeah. it but but it's still sad it might be over soon question mark yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's still it's still got a melancholy uh atmosphere i think uh i i wanted to hear a song that i really like this is maybe a little bit on the other end of that uh the record a little bit more aggressive um sorry that was totally my fault <laughs> i didn't need to rain. do that at all it's a set of sound effects that i use for another podcast that i just Duke it out. Let's go. Are you, jason you should do that every time we switch a song you should do it like a, you know, it's a rounded boxing it's like bony uh, bear versus now, iron maiden now we're gonna square off <laughs> death breast let's hear it jason <laughs> But I really like this kind of almost like industrial music, kind oh, of big distorted uh, yeah. drums in the song. It was I, I really kind of like that it you know really contrasts with the first song. I love this because you can't even 
really understand what that groove is. Is it a drum? Mm. Is it like an orchestra playing Colenio? It might be. It's a, probably a ton of different things. But then you got classic Bon Iver uh, layered in there. Actually, that thing in the background, that's a, that's a sample of Stevie Nicks warming up at like a show that they captured on video like decades ago. Oh, I know Are that clip. That's me? an amazing clip. And so he like I so I did like a little bit of research before this. I was like I want to I want to like find like I know there's interesting stuff in this record, but again like I said I've never gone off the deep end. So I was like doing a little bit, and I was like, what are some of these crazy sounds in there? Because I know he did a lot of resampling on this record. So that's Stevie Nicks in the background. Wow, that's awesome. I, I know that video they're doing the song Wild Heart. I think with like your two friends or whatever. Oh, that's exactly oh. that's that's exactly yeah. the video. That's a, uh, that's a great video. Um, one thing, too, I wanted to bring up in this, and also um, another song I liked a lot, 33 God, which we can maybe get to later, but I actually listened to this, um, like, streaming through my stereo that has, like, a big subwoofer and stuff, and mm. when you turn, there's, like, insanely low, like, digital yeah. bass on this that does not come through on headphones at all. Yeah. It's, like, enormous sounding when you, like, really, I really kind of cranked it up. It was the middle of the day. There weren't neighbors around, so, <laughs> uh, but it's, like, really deep bass on this. It's kind of yeah. interesting. So, if you have, a, you have the opportunity to, like, really crank it up on a, a system I'd, I'd recommend that yeah and the thing about this record too is and kind of Bon Iver is kind of like this in general unless unless he's in wanting you to really pay attention to lyrics you often can't understand the lyrics at all and so it really means this like has this opening wide open interpretation of how they make you feel and uh, and and you know I come to, back to this thing where it's like these lyrics have like a million meetings but also no meaning at all and uh mm. I, I find that i connect with that I don't, I don't know how how you two feel about lyrics i you know i can go i mean it's great when they're great lyrics obviously but um i probably tend more towards music and i listen mm. to a lot of instrumental music um but yeah i, I think yeah. there was like certain lines that will kind of like emerge from the fog on this record but yeah it, I, I don't know if i could really quote like verses or things like that yeah mm. it, I, I'm generally, and I've spoken about this on the podcast before, less of like a stories in music kind of guy and more of a like, how does the lyrical content like play against the rhythm and the melody? How like do they marry well in sort of a synesthesia kind of way? Mm. Um, this record sort of purposely eludes that like, if I'm not wrong, he kind of made up a lot of vocabulary for this record. I, I think I tracked a few words that just plain doesn't don't exist in any language that he made up. I've got <laughs> fuckified, estuary, wandry, paramind, and unorphaned. And there are probably more. So estuary like, is a word. Estuary? Yeah, estuary. It's two different words. It's like oh, a portmanteau, like apparently, the, the of word. of like, yeah, aster, like a Greek word for star, and estuary, where two rivers meet. Or That's very poetic. Wow. I know. And that's that's the feeling it leaves me with is like, wow, there's actual there's probably meaning to this. I have no idea what it is, but there's probably meaning. And well, that's that's my takeaway. The the meaning of this record, if if no one asked me, but I'm gonna tell you what it means to me <laughs> is um I don't know. There's a certain if you some of the lyrics combined with uh, just like the departure from his typical sort of production style and writing style, uh, and for what this when I listened to this record in 2016 when this came out, uh, it's very like transitory period of my life. Um, it had me thinking about just finding yourself, finding yourself, mm. um, and it's like I've str- struggled to put my finger on exactly what the emotion. Uh, like what feeling it emotes 
And then, um, you know, last week when we were all doing our research and I was reading about this, um, this album specifically is about, you know, finding yourself. And everyone says how like finding yourself is this like very, you know, it's this, I don't know, opening experience. And this, this lovely thing. And, uh, and basically he just, he's talking about, he's like, well, like, do we always like what we find when we do (laughs) find ourselves? And so part of it is, you know, this period of like finding myself or who, you know, I've become who I've discovered I am. Like, when will that version of myself be over? So that's also, I think the lyric from, you know, it might be over soon is from on that first record. Like this record might be over soon and I can go back to, you know, or go to the next part of my Yeah. Wow. I love um, that. I want to make sure we hit some of your, your favorites on here. So yeah. of the ones that we haven't uh, l- listened to, what where would you like to go next? Oh, I just I just wrote down a couple of different ones. Um, you know, I wrote down 45, Creeks, uh, Million, Eight Circle, any, any of those. I, whichever ones you two felt connected with. Yeah. Well, let's do um, the... Whatever, 45 or I had it 715 Creeks, but maybe it's 45. Anyway, let's do that one. All right, here's 715 as Spotify listed 715 Creeks by Bony Bear from 22 a million. Let's go. <laughs> Down along the creek, I remember something. Heard the heron Flush the breach that lies Low moon down the yellow road. One thing I find interesting, just well, technology in general, but in music as well, um, it's always interesting to me. Like you, you can never really predict what the impact of a technology would be, right? So, yeah. I mean, you, you could speak to this better as a producer, but. My assumption is autotune is created to basically like fixed flub notes, right? So they wouldn't have to like edit so much. Yeah, totally. And which is that that's why it was created. And it's certainly used in that way a lot. Um, but I'm sure that in their wildest imagination, they never anticipated that autotune would be used like so uh, widely used in the industry as sort of a, a creative tool to, you know, really make not just correct and kind of make perfect vocal takes, but really kind of distort and twist and and sort of you know morph vocals into this this entirely separate thing yeah i mean even just listening to the music behind you talking like i have i've got chills because there's this aspect Mm. of humanity to what he's doing but this auto-tune and the vocoders and stuff that he's added to it um almost like bring i don't know if it grounds kind of the the imperfections that you can hear but are now like you know they're they're buffed out to yeah. to a point of like uh it's like uncanny almost um but it's still very moving and very powerful it's almost like a, a, a choir that's been buffed out and you know overshined yeah. or something yeah i love i love there's a moment in this song it was about at the halfway point i won't pull us back because we got to get moving but where he like breaks into kind of a funky scream a little bit and it's like wow oh, I yeah don't, i don't think i anticipated that in a song that's like all about the voice and like the tonality that he's playing with and the yeah. chords that he's trying to crush together with his voice is like, Oh, there's just sort of like a primal scream moment in there. And I think that's what you're, that's yeah. where you're getting with that is like the, 
I don't know, the, the, to, the toying with the technology and sort of butting it up in a very frictious way with the voice, with the like natural harmony of the voice. I, I really like how that song sounds. Matching it up with what the emotion he's delivering. Because I think a lot mm-hmm. of music, at least like I don't, you know, I'm not going to punch down on myself. But when I write a song, I'm really focused on kind of like the sound. I love production. But he here is like marrying a lyrical concept an emotional concept Mm. a production concept like a lot of things all together in a very elegant way like that last lyric if you could heard he said you know god damn turn around you're my a-team so he's like he's angry and he's like reaching out to someone trying for trying to get help uh trying to get support or whatever it might be in the story but he's having a disconnect in the same kind of way that like it's like an organic source but then processed by something so technology driven that there is a disconnect in the way you're listening to it so you mm. you become very compelled it kind of like pulls you in yet keeps you keeps you at like arm's length you know but it's yeah. still pulling you in it's yeah interesting. let's hear eight circle was another one that, this is a nice this may be one of the more accessible kind of i don't want to say poppy but i think this is one of the more accessible kind of relatively more traditional songs yeah. on the album Yeah, I'm I'm bad at remembering uh, song titles anyway, and he he made it hard with this one. <laughs> well, eight circle is, um, I think that's supposed to be like the like infinity. That's what that's supposed to be. Yeah, oh. I did, I just had to write down in my notes like my own interpretation of whatever it is. I have like six 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 down. <laughs> this one really reminded me of like. Uh, like real 80s stuff like Bruce yeah. Hornsby or like Steve Winwood kind of stuff when I was a, a, a little kid. 100. In, in, the, in my parents' car or whatever. You called not caves, they through it all. But when I was listening to this, Cody, I really thought of it. I was like, I just you as somebody that's really been involved in like a composition and production and music technology and sound design and different things like I could definitely see why this appeals to you so much because it's very much a producer's kind of record, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, but it's it's also, I mean, Bonnie Verrett, when it comes to like songwriting for music's sake, for the elevation of the art form, I don't know if there's anyone better. He's definitely up there. Uh, so it's this cool, it's cool to see him do this. I really fell in love with um, Blood Bank and uh, specifically The Woods. Um, the song on on Blood Bank that's just like this cyclical thing, and I was like, oh no, he not only can write lyrics, but he can pick one idea and stick to it, but also do all these awesome productions. Uh, so I, I come back to this record a couple times a year, especially when I need to just think through some things. Um, I find it 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 helps me through that. It, it kind of gives me a guiding hand to think yeah. through through complex things, you know. Yeah, and I like that he he interspersed some of these more, you know, kind of more traditional songs in a sense, like Stratford Apartments is another one where, yeah, you know, I think it's a good um, just break in the kind of the real ethereal kind of um, ghostly sort of stuff he has going on. And it's, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. this is kind of a a really just well-written song.
right. Uh, I want to keep us on track time-wise here. I know you're you're limited. So uh, I know you said a, mil- a zero 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 a million. Was that one you wanted to hear? Yeah, we could listen to that one too. You know, this song. Uh, I don't know if any listeners are watching Stranger Things right now, but if I was in Stranger Things, this one would pull me out of the upside down. Just. <laughs> I know I, I I need to start. I've heard all the you know Kate Bush yeah, mania yeah, yeah. that's been taken over, which I think is awesome. Uh it is uh it ties into this show. We covered that with uh with Emily Reese of um oh. uh, of late. Yeah, that was a that was a wonderful episode. Uh, I gotta say, I gotta jump in about uh, Stranger Things, Matt, not to spend more time. The last thing I remember you talking about Stranger Things was like none of these kids would be into these cool bands back in the eighties. They would <laughs> well, all be listening I mean, to whatever's on the radio. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of from a you know Hicks from the Sticks, and like mm-hmm. I just thought it was weird the older brother was into like Joy Division and not like you know Motley Crue or <laughs> right, right, like right, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow or something. Whatever the older guys were into, you know. All right. Uh, well, here is zero 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 zero. I think there's one more zero million. it's interesting he, t- he chooses to end the album on probably the most sort of like straightforward um song and production and i think it, it works pretty well i think yeah it's it's almost it's like a little americana it's almost pastoral it's it's a soft landing it's 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 the end of his his journey it's the end of his chapter i was reading um i was actually watching an interview with him where he's talking about this and on the first song we listened to it's you know it's very chopped up right where he has all these vocals and they're all over the place and when he was originally processing it he had cut together two samples from something he recorded and it sounded like uh it was saying two 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 and in the way in his mind he was like struggling to understand what that meant and why he wanted to make it work in the song and um and he like came to this conclusion that two two or maybe he didn't say this, but like this was he was alluding to that Tutu is Justin Vernon. That that is Bonnie Vare. His name's Justin hmm. Vernon. And that the million from the record, which is this last track, zero zero, you know, it's five zeros and a one. Um or maybe it's no, that that's not a million. I don't know why so many zeros. <laughs> he, did he type that wrong? Is the metadata incorrect? Uh <laughs> I'm not sure. But the million is everyone else. And so his journey is kind of like twenty two to a million. Oh well. Like maybe like the i don't know the odds or like what his how he feels against the population or his journey through this record like this period of his life or something um i was like damn i'm gonna think about that for a while yeah that's deep but this definitely feels like he's getting back to his roots yeah um he's kind of settled after having an experimental little 35 minute trip yeah there's I guess I, I listened, excuse me, listen to this record a good few times and mostly on my bike. So it was like, oh, not the ideal listening experience, but 
it's like just if you look at it from ten thousand feet, it's like he's clearing his throat with the first like six to eight tracks of this record, mm. and then the rest of it is like sort of a come down from that. I like how you painted that picture of like his return journey, like from this experimental place to, you know, more I won't say traditional, but more of like a what people might have expected from a record by Bon Iver. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, 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 this has been really fun. I, I listened to this, I think, a couple times when it came out, and then just sort of, I, had, one of the bad parts of the streaming age is records just kind of come and go, and there's always a new flood of new things every mm. Friday. So, yeah, uh, it was nice to kind of loop back on this and engage with it a little more uh, consciously or uh, deeply, I guess. Uh, but I think we covered this one pretty well. Now let's uh, Jason ring the bell. <laughs> Super Rock Showdown. The other contestants entered the arena. All right. And from left field, I'm not much of a sports guy, but. <laughs> Up the <laughs> From uh, their West Ham yes. soccer fans. That's one of their big things. You know them. Uh, Iron Maiden, probably hmm. among the small handful of most iconic metal bands, I'd say, with Black Sabbath or. Metallica or whoever you want to name a uh, super influential band, uh, part of the new wave of British heavy metal that kind of melded some of the uh, speed and energy of punk into metal. Uh, and, yeah. and they added their own kind of extremely dramatic uh, lyrical content. Uh, so let's, let's hear invaders. Uh, we, that's a, that's the opening track and it's got a lot of the, uh, I think very typical Iron Maiden or very uh, quintessential Iron Maiden stuff. All right. It's about Vikings attacking the Saxons. Fuck yeah, it is. Hell yeah. <laughs> and you meant, uh, we, before we were on, you mentioned Steve Harris, and you'll hear some really, he's a, such an amazing melodic bass player. Oh, yeah. I mean, looking at some of these bass parts, uh, I'm wondering if, like, should he have just been the guitar player in the band? <laughs> like, uh,. Yeah, you know, I the reason I picked this is because uh, a friend had pointed me to it, but they have a big three-part Iron Maiden documentary about oh, their whole career nice. on their, their YouTube channel, which is actually a really good YouTube channel. Uh, so I kind of watched that, and uh, it was really interesting about the early days. And uh, But you definitely come away. I, I knew he was sort of the leader, but uh, it's very much Steve Harris's band. Interesting. Like, he was always the one that was making decisions, and he really? was deciding who was in the band and who was out of the band and stuff like that. So. That's fascinating. I, you know, this is one of the bands that I kind of grew up on. My dad was a bit of a metalhead, and um, he was in a ton of bands in the in the eighties, and and then of course, you know, he had kids and settled down and and all of this stuff. But he would sing Iron Maiden tunes and Led Zeppelin tunes. So when it was about time for, you know, he got my brothers into music. It was about time for me to, you know, pick up the the old four string and joined the the Hanson Johnson brothers uh some of the first stuff he started showing me of why he would start with Iron Maiden for a small child to learn bass guitar <laughs> I don't know it was like this and yes like okay sure Come on, yeah, that's, a lot, to, that's a lot to chew on for a kid <laughs> and uh yeah he did the same thing with guitar and Steve Howe so uh, I don't know but just like trying just listening to this record uh or some of these records right because we were just listening to the radio um, just some of my classic metal and rock channels when I was a kid. So that's why I picked out Invaders, Number of the Beast, and Run of the Hills, because those are kind of always tracks that were playing that my dad would be like, listen to the bass, do you hear the bass? I'm like, Dad, I can't hear the bass. I don't even know what a bass guitar is. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so it's just this feeling of, and now looking back, it's like, oh yeah, there is a lot of punk in here. Um, it's not something I've really like thought about too much after those. I haven't come back to Iron Maiden and like revisited my roots too much. So this was mm. this was fun to re-listen to this record before we did this. Yeah, I hadn't listened to them forever until I saw the YouTube thing, and I was like, man, they're fun. They're so much fun. Like it's kind of like you know the same reason. It's like the musical of like Game of Thrones or something. Like you know, it's fantasy and you know, yeah, it's historical battles and it's like very interesting storytelling too i think like the imagery and uh you know considering what the iron maiden is and all of this imagery they use on their album art and you know all this different material they have and then the concepts they're singing about i think a lot of people can get like turned away because it's it's maybe it's too demonic or too evocative and scary but it's all just very you know high high concept storytelling like you said it's fantasy and i think a lot of people miss that that and get disconnected there yeah and they have a lot of historical references references which we'll get to on you know movies television shows books um they're kind of they're kind of nerdy in that way you know they're always sort of inspired by things um one i wanted to listen to um that wasn't one of your picks but jason you want to go to children of the damned at 124 because it kind of takes us out of the verse into the chorus where you just like Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer is like, <laughs> he's got a set of lungs on him. Like he's, yeah. uh, he's got a powerful voice. And I think this, uh, the chorus, and then it kind of goes into the signature kind of, I guess the gallop, which is what I sort of think of as like the Iron Maiden signature kind of triplet thing. All right. Here it is at 124. It's almost a little proggy right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that's interesting. In the in the documentary, they talked a lot. Uh, they liked Yes for sure, and uh, another like more obscure band. They talked about Wishbone Ash, which I know a little bit of. Um, but yeah, they they were Prague kind of fans coming up. I mean, the <laughs> his voice in this chorus is so crazy to me. And we haven't even hit the end. Get some Ronnie James Dio vibes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he holds that a long time. <laughs> but I just love that, man. He's so... And then you see live clips of them from back in the day, and man, like, he was really doing it, too. He's you know? all over the place. And he's running doing this stuff, like, all over, and he hits it, too. It's like he, He's like an athlete, honestly. Yeah, I remember watching a video, uh, I think it was, like, this, like, VHS that my dad had, or, because we, we used to put it on, and we'd, like, jam out, but it was, oh, it was exactly that's so cute, that I love it. Of him just sprinting back and forth on stage, just screaming his head off. I'm like, how does one human do that for, like, two hours? This is, what's going on here? And, you know, this, the, the instrumental here, too, if you think about, like, the 80s and, like, metal, it's like, this was heavy, right? Like, we think about heavy yeah. now, it's, like, big detuned guitars and super compressed, massive sounding in the headphones. But people are still making, like, dynamic sounding records. But the drummer on this is, he's beating the shit, like, Jason Bonham style of his drums. Yeah. He's smacking them so, so fucking hard. Yeah, Nico <laughs> McBain. <laughs> It's he's awesome. A, he's a monster. And then Amazing. the classic, like, you know, 
I love it when they do the harmony leads, which is very, but I always consider this kind of dint, 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 kind of triplet feel. Yeah. It's sort of the like galloping horse kind of thing. That yeah. They always had. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they, I think they definitely, these, this era of bands definitely added like speed that, mm. had, you know, cause Black Sabbath is very heavy, but they're largely a pretty mid tempo to slow tempo. Yeah. Band. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this, you know, because we're we're in the eighties at this point. When did when did Iron Maiden come together? Was it late seventies? Yeah, they started in the late seventies. I just watched it. I think their first singles might have came out in seventy nine or eighty. Um, yeah. And they, you know, they but they were kind of like figuring it out with various different lineups and even bands that weren't called Iron Maiden. You know, from like maybe seventy four, yeah. seventy five. Well, but it, I think they they sort of their coming outs around seventy nine, eighty. I think, and it makes sense too as as a response to. You know, you have you have Black Sabbath and and just kind of establishing this this OG metal yeah. slow burn vibes. It's like where do you go from there? And you know, it's like kind of combining metal and punk and and getting it to this new place where I think like a lot of a lot of metal bands still take influence from this gallop. This, yeah, this, totally. I mean, I do stuff like that all the time, but now it's just. It's yeah. called Gent, and it's displaced. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of the thrash bands, like you know, the originals, like Metallica and oh, Slayer, yeah. were big, huge fans of this stuff. Um, so you you mentioned uh, Run to the Hills, which we absolutely have to do. This is like, you know, this is awesome. one of their absolute anthems. So it's absolutely, uh, yeah. I mean, even looking at Spotify, it only has like a quarter of a billion plays. Not a big deal. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> It's wild. And Maiden, though, like overseas, they go down to Brazil and play like 100,000 seats, you know, soccer stadiums and stuff. I mean, you would be, maybe you wouldn't be surprised after saying that, but looking at the people who listen to my music, a lot of the music that I've released is mostly, you know, it's heavier music for some of the soundtracks I've released. Mm -hmm. And the number one audience that listens to that, those soundtracks are from mostly Brazil um, and South America. So there's like a huge metal population. Uh, metal fan population. <laughs> There's just like a lot of people made out of metal. And, no. <laughs> <laughs> Literally metal people. Uh, um, so that's interesting to hear. I know I've seen a couple of shows from them when they're in in Brazil playing massive, massive shows. All righty. Uh, well, here is uh, Run to the Hills. Sorry. Yes, Run to the Hills. I keep confusing myself. Mandela affecting myself on whether it's Run for or Run to the Hills. This song blew my mind uh, by... Iron Maiden from Number of the Beast. Are your harmonized guitars? Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. I'm a big sucker for harmony leads. I do think it's interesting. I don't consider them a particularly like political band, but I do think it's interesting that they, you know, are sort of portraying like the settlers and cowboys as kind of the the, the villains of this story, which I think is kind of interesting. That is the part that blew my mind. Like, not even obliquely. Like he references the Cree people, like First yep. Nations, Native Americans. And how the white man came and you know pillaged and and took their land for gold that was useless to them. Like this yeah. song is all out there. I just had yes. no idea Iron Maiden made music anything like this. Yeah, and this chorus. I mean, we'll get to the chorus soon, but I mean, this chorus is just 
Yeah. So good. I love the little off like drum hits on the these little accents and stuff. It's so he's such a great drummer. And always I'm always shocked when like because I it's one of those things where I didn't even fully understand the lyrical context of some of this stuff. But then you revisit later in life and what it's actually telling you might be kind of contrarian to what some of their fan base actually like believes in or hmm. supports. So it's it's cool to see, like you said, that there's like not particularly political, but they put their ideologies into their lyrics in in one way or another. It's it's really interesting perspective. It is interesting to think about the sort of like unfortunately tied to the metal scene, you know, racism, bigotry, all the terrible things that can come with large crowds of people, I guess. <laughs> uh, and yeah. this song being like from both sides of the, of the, I guess, cause it, it switches perspective, right? It's, it starts out about talking to white yeah. man coming from Europe and then it switches to like, like the, the chorus is the call to go, uh, you know, to go attack basically. Yeah. No, and it's just, man, this is just a thrilling song it is, to me. It is. It's just like, it's so good. Um. <laughs> okay. <It's> classic. <laughs> just goes I wonder where Tenacious D got their influence. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Yeah, big time. Him and Dio, for sure. But, yeah. it's. I mean, that's the thing I like, is it is absurd, and it, is, it does make me laugh at times, but also it's awesome at the same time. Yeah. Like, I just, it's like opera. Like, so many bands are so, like, you know, kind of layers of irony or... You know what I mean? But it's like, like they really believe in this stuff. And like, I think they're like, they don't, they're not afraid to be like ridiculous in, in search of like, yeah. you know, being epic or whatever. Right. They, they don't half-ass things. You were talking about how hard he's hitting the drums and how everybody's just like really going at it. And they have such nuance to it all too. Mm. Like they're in the pocket. They're like adding a whole lot of character to some of these notes and performances. Yeah. It's interesting, too. Right, um, run to the hills, run for your life. So whenever I have been listening to this, it was, you know, as if, you know, like, the attacker is telling someone to run to the hills. But also, like, it could be, like, you know, you are telling your village, well, we got to run oh, to the hills. Yeah. We have to run yes. for our lives. That's um, true. So it's, there's there's more more duality, a bit more of a dichotomy there, too, between some of those lyrics. Interesting. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Cody, what was the, some of the other ones you wanted to make sure we got to? Um, Number of the Beast, of course. It's the, well, it's yeah, the, we have to do that. It's the title record. I don't know. I feel like we should, if we're going to do something before, we should do that one last. Well, then that's the, you're, you're, the, you're the captain of this ship. Uh, I really love The Prisoner. This is another awesome chorus to me, and uh, it's kind of interesting based on this uh, kind of cult British television show. I, I always really like this one. We want information. Information. Which I don't know much about this show, but I know it's very sort of a cult thing, like almost a proto kind of Black Mirror sort of thing. Yeah, well, is this where, where are these samples from? Because there's a couple of them throughout the record, right? It, it's from the show, I guess. Is um, it called The Prisoner, the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think it might have occupied a certain space like maybe Twilight Zone did mm. in America. Um, I love answering who is number two with you are number six. <laughs> <laughs> who is number two?
just kind of uncharacteristic groove from them. It's a little bit more like a almost close to like ACDC kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost a little hair metal too, but then but then you get here. And we're back to Iron Maiden. So I, I think from what I read, he's sort of like the protagonist of this show, The Prisoner. Oh, okay. So he is inhabiting, like you said, they reference media and stuff a lot. This is, this is them doing that for that show. I really like the chorus that's coming up when they kind of switch into a real major thing and kind of lift up. Yes. Mm-hmm. One thing I was also kind of realizing when I was listening is like they're certainly very you know very heavy metal, very you know complicated and things, but they really do have a, a great way with hooks. They have very good pop sensibilities in their own way. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say of um, of our opening track, Invaders. That riff, it like it goes major for the chorus riff, and same thing in this chorus is like they realize that they've got to be heavy and thrashy when they need to. And then major and poppy and catchy during the chorus to like, you know, maintain attention and stuff. It's, it's an incredible approach to this kind of music that I did not associate with. It's definitely a sea of like 20,000 people with their fists up, you know, singing along. (laughs) Yeah. I think it can be, you know, relatable. Even if you don't really know the source of what this song is about, when you hit that chorus, you can hear that there's like this, or the verse is very angsty. It's like frustrated and this chorus hits. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm a prisoner. No, I'm a free man. And it's like, I feel like yeah. you can, that major helps uplift it. And it kind of opens yeah. up the song and everyone, yeah. like the energy, like bursts through the top and they're moving to the ride symbol and smashing on that. And <laughs> just the arrangement opens up yeah. too, rather than being this like palm muted, chuggy, tight drum groove thing. So it's a, it's a very, very clever arranging trick too. It's very yeah. smart. Yeah. It could just be about like your boss at Pizza Hut who's an asshole or something. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's like a fifteen-year-old. Fuck you, Craig. I won't. Yeah, Dude, I'm not coming in. I'm not doing a double shift. <laughs> I'm not a prisoner. I'm a free man. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not a prisoner. Right. I'm a line cook. <laughs> well, I think we're getting running a little bit up on time, so I think we we, we now we got to do it. Let's do the the mm. the title track, the classic. I think this is probably. I know it has shown up very high on lists of like the greatest heavy metal songs of all time. Uh, this also, um, which is kind of funny when you actually see interviews with these guys kind of uh, in the eighties, kind of satanic panic era, um, got them accused of being sort of uh, into like Satanism and right. the occult, which is like really funny. Cause they're guys that just like sit around and drink beer and like watch soccer on television. <laughs> um, but uh, the, yeah, this uh, number of the beasts is you know uh, starts out with a little you know book of revelations just to make it a little even less subtle and <laughs> I love this. This is a, just a classic. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil sends the beast with wrath because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. 
Its number is 666. I left alone. My mind was blank. I needed time to think to get the memories from my mind. This little sickle guitar part is so great. How do you count that out, Cody? Is that like five, eight? Um, it's kind of like uh, it's like this diddly beat where it's like at three eighth notes and then it doubles back on two. So it's like baka 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 So it, okay. it's, it's like this syncopated uh, eighth note groove. Okay. Or that's how I hear it, but then also I could see how it's like maybe like this triple meteor, triple complex meter or something like that. It really depends on how you want to break it down, but sure. I love it. I can't believe we didn't mention it when we were talking about Bon Iver, but this is also the track that ties those two albums together, this and Bon Iver's <laughs> 22 a million, because 666 and then the upside down T, that track. There you go. Right, yeah. That's the number of the beast, baby. They also both have the number 22, 22 Acacia Avenue, which we didn't get <gasps> to, and 22 a million. Oh, man. They're, Holy shit. they're basically sister albums, as far as I know. <laughs> oh, it was fated, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> numerology. There's something there. <laughs> I bet Iron Maiden has to have a song about numerology. We'll find it <laughs> somewhere in their catalog. This is interesting, too, because it takes, like, so long to get to the chorus of this song, but uh, it works. But again, I, this this is a story. They're doing storytelling, right? And so many people listen to this. I can tell you that, like, when I was a kid listening to this on the radio, the radio edit certainly did not have the revelations at the top. Um, they, you know, they're trying to reduce the scare factor here mm-hmm. because this isn't, you know, like you said, this isn't about Satanism or, you know, it's just it's fantasy. It's a, it's a story. And I think, yeah, I mean, I yeah. just witnessed some sort of right or this weird cult thing or something at the beginning. Man, they're shredding on this solo too. Wow. I was thinking about those bass lines before you mentioned them, Cody. But then imagine actually like playing them. Oh, Wild. they're they're rough. He sometimes he's using like a four finger technique where he's like engaging all like you know his four phalanges mm-hmm. on his right hand while playing the bass, which <sighs> is is Jeez. not easy. He's going ape shit on his bass. Um, yeah, he's I mean, usually playing like a Rickenbacker forty oh three or something. It's so oh, okay. it's such a classic t- tone too. So good. I wonder how tempting it was to just use a fucking pick. <laughs> but then it would change yeah, the tone, would, obviously, yeah. you know? Yeah. But yeah, he's, uh, I think he's maybe just like old school enough where yeah. you just don't play bass with a pick. I don't know if you need the attack from a pick when your drummer is smashing as hard as, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just for a record straight, that's, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. And the way, I mean, they're really, like, as a rhythm section, the way they link up with, like, little syncopated fills that kind of, like, where the bass and the drums are kind of mm-hmm. doing the same rhythmic thing, it's really, 
they're really excellent at, at, at kind of the dynamics of the rhythm section. You can tell we like this song because we're basically just playing it live on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. This is the closer. This is the on the last song of the encore. Well, so uh, nice. well, I'm glad I'm glad you had some connection from uh, childhood. I I didn't know your dad was kind of a, a metal dude. That's awesome. Did he play in like bands? He was a singer in uh, a bunch of bands, and you know, he covered Maiden and Led Zeppelin and all these people. And um, and he actually, you know, he grew up where Erie, Pennsylvania, where like uh, Pat Monahan from Train is from, and so they were like hmm. kind of all singing in bands at the same time too. But then oh, you wow. know, Pat went and did his thing. LA and San Francisco and my dad had kids uh and he, here I am so he definitely yeah. imparted a lot of that onto me and my brothers and that's where I think a lot of love for for metal and well my my love for metal went to a very different direction mm-hmm. you know with like deathcore and metalcore and stuff and he's like that's unlistenable I'm like isn't that what you know Nana said about your Iron Maiden music Ooh, definitely <laughs> did yeah um well, that, yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad it's interesting. You come obviously from a very uh, musical background, so that's that. That was probably a really a cool thing growing up. Yeah, and now and now I'm like, I think I might have been better at bass when I was trying to learn, not like Run to the Hills in the third grade, than I am now. I just, <laughs> I, now I'm like tempted. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna pull up a tab and start yeah, jamming man. out to this record. What am I doing? Absolutely. Um, well, I know you're at limited time, so we should wrap it up. But uh, Cody was a uh, Great to have you on the show. This is a super fun conversation, and we really appreciate all the all the insight uh, into these records. And uh, so, yeah, thanks for thanks for being on. Thank you for having me. It was fun to. It's always fun to to talk about music, right? Where it's like I said, it's to do to engage one art form about another one. So it's mm-hmm. it's and and everyone brings their own unique kind of perspective and ideas to things. So it's always fun to to share what an album means to me and what how other people engage with it. So, you know, I hope this, I hope it's engaging for your listeners and I hope maybe they, they listen to these records in a way that if they would have listened to it before, maybe, maybe they hear, hear some new interesting things in there, maybe a sample or perhaps uh, yeah, uh, samples on both records actually. So yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot of tie between these two, believe it or not. <laughs> I mean, they're practically the same records. <laughs> the more I think about it. Um, but yeah, no, this is great. I also want to, before you leave, uh, is there anything, uh, new projects that you have coming up or anything you'd like to, uh, call people's attention to? Um, oh, there's always things that are sworn to secrecy that if uh, I mentioned, you know, I, I would get probably snipered in my, my condo right now, you know, <laughs> okay. there's someone on the roof next to me, but, um, my company Imperious Sound and Music, we're, we're rapidly growing. We're working on tons of projects all the time, writing music and doing sound design. I just finished uh, and released Trek to Yomi, which came out in early May, which is a, a love letter between the Edo period and Akira Kurosawa. There's tons of awesome traditional Japanese music and then some really experimental, crazy sound design stuff in that as well, where I got I got a little uh ambitious and experimental which is cool so that's the back half of that soundtrack is is mildly unlistenable but if you want to feel like you're in like a a spa in japanese hell go ahead and listen to that how did you know (laughs) i like mildly unlistenable music (laughs) well you like like you like captain beefheart so yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah 
Thanks so much, uh, Cody. We really appreciate your time. And obviously, we thank all you that listen and support. And if you'd like to support MinMax, our uh, parent company, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash M-I-N-N-M-A-X MinMax and support there. They do a lot of great video game content every day, uh, you know, stream, podcasts, you know, writing. It's great. So check them out and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks again to Cody. Thanks, Jason. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you in a Catch you the next time.